Hello and welcome to Inside the Artist Studio. My name is Sean Davis Newton here with the Cups and Cakes Network. And uh, today we have an interview with Alexa Dirks from Begonia. This one's been sitting around for a little while. I, I talked to her on February 19th, 2021. And we chatted about uh, her new live record, which is called Fear. Uh, it's, it's, of course, named after her uh, breakout record, Fear, which came out in uh, September 2019. And uh, this live record is a recording of a, of a run of five sold-out shows she did in Winnipeg uh, at the end of February 2020, right before taking off on a, uh, on a somewhat ill-fated tour, some might say. Uh, we talk about the economics of buying a tour van right before a pandemic. We talk about our John Bryan stories. And uh, at the end of the episode, we're going to listen to a song off of the live record called Juniper. As per usual, there is definitely some foul language in this episode. So if that's uh, not your type of thing, now's your chance to turn this episode off. And, of course, you can find other episodes of this podcast, as well as other audio, video, and written content over at cupsandcakespod.com, which is the Cups and Cakes Network website. That's cups, the letter M, cakespod.com. Here's Begonia. Hi, I'm Begonia. (laughs) Happy to be here. Perfect. Well, uh, welcome to uh, Inside the Artist Studio. I'm really uh, happy that we're able to have you on here. Uh, just to kind of run through uh, what's going to happen over the next uh, 45 minutes or so, we uh, got the rapid fire section right up front, and then uh, we'll kind of pivot into a more normal interview. We'll talk about the live record and about the record that preceded it, and uh, then we'll uh, play a track and uh, talk about that a little bit. So, into the rapid fire right off the bat uh what is your go-to baked good <laughs> go-to baked good probably like a loaf of some sort like a banana loaf like uh it sounds so boring but that's probably <laughs> what i would go for or maybe like a croissant or something like that you know like something that you'd get in a coffee shop little window when they're like do you want something with your coffee and i'm like yes <laughs> Absolutely. Whatever you have that is the best, please. Out of curiosity, is there like I I always have really strong like family associations with any like baking or baked good like that. Is there stuff like that for you? Like did your parents make a killer banana loaf or something? <laughs> uh, I don't know. My my mom always makes the exact same chocolate chip cookie since I was a kid and then when I started going on tour, uh, she would send me some every time, and that's every tour from for the last like thirteen years. She's <laughs> sent me with these cookies, so it's like, are they my favorite? Sure, but do they just bring great memories? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> uh, do you prefer tea or coffee? I usually drink one cup of coffee a day. I'm so bad at rapid fire. Wow. I'm like, <laughs> let me just explain myself. Yeah. Okay, fine. Coffee, but I also like tea. Nah, some splaining is good. What's like, uh, it's <laughs> fine. I, I don't know shit about coffee. Um, 
but do you have like a go-to tea? Is there like a specific kind that you like or? Yeah, I'm I'm usually like the lemon ginger or like a mint green kind of vibe, you know. Okay, so yeah. coffee is for caffeine and tea is for like chilling out a little bit. It's for li- is for life. Yeah, tea is for I usually have like one cup of coffee in the morning and I'm one of those disgusting people that will like drink it for a whole day. One cup. <laughs> yeah, I know and how I, that goes. And I like coffee, but like I actually can't drink more than one to two cups a day because I, it makes me, it turns me into a strange person. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, do you listen more to radio or podcasts? Probably radio. When like when I travel, podcasts, and then at home we have the radio on all the time. Oh, it's funny. I feel like that's like kind of reversed from the answer I normally get. Like, yeah, I oh. feel like podcasts are often just like a, or more than that, even uh, radio is just often an in the car thing for a lot oh, of yeah. people. I think. Well, I guess since I feel, I feel like I've never really been home this much and that became kind of just like a little comfort thing like in the morning like just to add to some semblance of a routine I'm trying to make up for myself in the last year like in the morning you like turn the coffee on turn on the radio like I feel like this (laughs) is my like adult contemporary routine (laughs) uh do you have a favorite pit stop when you go out on tour pit stop Oh, there's so many. A favorite pit stop. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm just like all that comes to mind is like like food places. No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm on the spot. My brain's not working. My favorite pit stop is I just want to leave right now. I just want to go anywhere. I don't know. I don't know. Get me in the van and just like get me to a gas station. I don't care. Like I'm literally thinking of truck stops in my mind because I have been so deprived of anywhere. Yeah. I can't even. And at a point where you have to sit down and think, oh, man, what's the best truck stop I've ever been to? Um, I'm like, just I'll go anywhere. I don't know. I love everywhere. Just take me out of here. I want to go anywhere. I don't know. I'm so bad at rapid fire. This is (laughs) this is not my forte. Uh, What's the first car you ever owned, if any? The first car I owned was a tour van, 15 passenger Econoline, like big baby tour van. And I also, I had one with like my previous band and then I was like, I'm never going to be like a van owner again, never again. Like, And then started Begonia. I was like, never, I'm not doing it. We're just going to rent from people. We're going to make it happen. And then we were supposed to be touring so much in 2020 that I was like, you know what? And my manager just kept saying, you know what? It'll pay for itself. If you buy one right before like this crazy like year of touring that you have coming up, it will literally pay for itself. I'm like, you know what? You're right. And I bought one in February (laughs) of last year. And it is sitting, it sits in front of my house as just like a Charlie Brown, like, (laughs) it's just like right in front of my house when I go like, sip my one coffee that I've been sipping for eight hours. I stare out my window. I see the birds and I see that van. <laughs> and it is the just for laughs gag of my life. Yeah, boy, I, I feel like uh, at, at this point I would have caved and just gotten it 
turned into a big cube. It would. <laughs> I know it's hard. It's hard. I at first was just like, I'm not using it until we tour again, and then the month just kept rolling, kept rolling, and I was like, okay, this thing is getting so rusty, and <laughs> I need I need to just use it casually so that it doesn't die forever. So that's my cool, non-depressing rapid fire. Thank Perfect. you. <laughs> uh, what's the weirdest job you've ever had? Weirdest job. Well, I haven't had a lot of jobs aside from music. I worked at a summer camp. I worked respite adults with disabilities. I worked at a cocktail bar for a minute. I did coat check. Okay, maybe I have had a few jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I went up north for the census. That was an interesting oh. job. Um, yeah, those are the jobs. And the, uh, those are actually, I feel like those are all the jobs that I've had. Where, where did you go in the north? I went to Iglulik okay. and, and Hall Beach. Yep. And I was in Iqaluit for like a, a minute, but yeah. H- had you been up there before? I, I just like, uh, no. I've, I've always, always wanted to go. I know, I, I, I know, and that was kind of like, part of the reason I just knew a bunch of artist friends that were like, hey, we've done this before. I was like, my last band had just broken up. I was just starting Begonia. I had no- nothing like on the books for like a few months. And I was like, oh, I could I could do this. And I've never been up there, never had any like touring up there. So I was like, this would be an opportunity to like see an amazing part of Canada that I would never get to see otherwise. But it's an interesting job though. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I know. I had, I assume, uh, I don't know why, uh, it's probably the last census, which happens every five years, which is a piece Mm -hmm. of information that I have in my brain for some reason. You got it. I had no idea about anything. I just was like, what am I even doing? And then we got there and I was like, okay, (laughs) cool. Uh, if you could open for any band, uh, whether it still exists or not, uh, who would you choose to open for? Oh, I don't feel cool enough to open for any of the bands I want to open for. <laughs> I'm like, um, Stevie Wonder, uh, Erica Badu, Fiona Apple. Those are all like the people that I just want to meet. So then I would just want the excuse, but like, I don't feel like it necessarily like, I don't. I don't feel cool enough to do that, but that's what I, those were the first three that come to my mind. A quick diversion, just because I'm like a huge Fiona Apple fan. How'd you like the, <gasps> how'd you like the new Fiona Apple record last year? I love it. I love it. I loved it. I love it. Yeah, no, I'm a die, I'm a diehard, like Fiona Apple person for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, I was going to just ask the same question again. What's your favorite local bite to eat? Local bite to eat. You know, if it's like a brunch moment, we'd go like Clementine or Tallest Poppy. If I'm like at home and wanting to order something, I would generally go like a Shabbatai. Have you heard of a Shabbatai? Who knows? Whatever. It's on Portage <laughs> Avenue in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, there's many places, many, many places. But those are the three that first come to mind. Have you found that because of the pandemic, there is food that you like won't order or haven't eaten in a long time because you just know it's not going to show up at your house very good? <laughs> I don't like as good as being in the restaurant, like getting it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, that doesn't stop me. It doesn't stop me. I don't know. I, I, I just, uh, uh, yeah, that it just doesn't stop. But, but I, you know, I have been cooking more than I ever have in my whole entire life, which took a couple months to actually like get in the groove of that, of that. But I used to, when I was home, like in between tours, just order all food all the time because I just felt like, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I'm so tired. And yeah. now I'm like, okay, well you can't do that every day, bitch. <laughs> Make some food. I feel like I kind of had the opposite reaction of the pandemic where I was like, uh, as soon as it happened, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to cook like all the time. And then <sighs> it was about two months of that. And then it just, it just fell apart. <laughs> just... Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't say that I'm like whipping up masterpieces every night over here. That's <laughs> <laughs> not happening. But I definitely went through the like, oh, I'm going to make some bread. And I <laughs> made like a loaf of like, well, first I killed the yeast which i didn't know you could kill yeast huh. like yeah exactly it's fascinating shit but i killed the <laughs> yeast so i killed my first loaf of bread the second loaf it was i made a focaccia and then i was like whoa it was like i was on like the drug of the bread and i was like i'm gonna hand roll my own pasta like i went nuts <laughs> and that only happened once once in a year because I did that once and I was like, wow, the high is real. And then the low was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yeah, I got into bread too, as I think a lot of people did. And I just found a recipe that is like no need bread. And so it involves oh, no, need. no work. And still, I gave up doing So what does that, that mean? You just like have the dough, you look at it and you're like, you're good. <laughs> you're good, dough. Nothing wrong with you. <laughs> Don't got to touch you. <laughs> it's it's literally you just you put like flour and yeast and water and you loosely mix it and then you just let it sit for like two days and it yeah. just kind of gets real big see it sounds easy people make that kind of shit sound like and then that's all you do and i always fuck that shit up no matter what i've fucked up my my fair share of loaves <laughs> that's a memoir <laughs> That's that's the title of something. I fucked up my fair share of loaves. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, if you could uh, put together a fantasy lineup of any uh, few bands that you would want to go see at a show, uh, which uh, what what kind of bands would you pick? Yeah, probably the same ones that I said <laughs> to open for. You know, uh, man, if I could see Stevie Wonder before I die, that would be something I would really enjoy in my life. If I could see, oh, I ha I have seen Erica Badu before, but it was in like a parking lot. It was at South by Southwest. It was in a parking lot. I was very far away, and her set was not that long, so it felt just like a tease. Yeah, what kind of environment is is South by Southwest? Because obviously, like I know, what it is a wild it is, west. It is but... it is a rodeo where you are trying to park your van for like six hours you just about miss your showcase because you're like where can i park my van and you're crying and you're sweating <laughs> and then you're just drinking and you don't even know how you can live but you live and you see shows <laughs> it's just so it's it's wild if you like I've been a few times and like the first time I ever went, I had like this whole itinerary of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to this panel. I'm going to do this. And then I got there and I was like, uh, none of these things that I've planned are going to happen. Like I just I was rolling around. Like it's impossible to 
plan anything. You just go with the. Oh man, I sound like such a dink. You just go with the flu, <laughs> but it's true. It's I don't know, whatever. That happened. I I went to Sled Island for the first time a couple of years ago, and it was the same kind of experience where I was like, yeah, I got all these things I'm gonna check off, and I'm gonna run from this place to this place, and then yeah. You just, you just do whatever. Yeah, you're just sitting at one venue and they're like, hey, you want a free taco in a bag and like <laughs> a shot of like Jaeger bomb? And you're like, the combo sounds disgusting, but I'm going to do that. And then you stay there for three hours and then you, <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a journey. Uh, do you prefer video games, board games, or sports? Yeah. <laughs> video games okay do you have like some some go-to games that you like well i used to be i used to get into the gaming life like in a way to escape my own life as a teen like feeling kind of like rejected by like my love interests or whatever like i was a gamer like i was in the basement donkey konging mortal combating zeldaing doing all the stuff and then as an adult, I kind of like shed some of like I still had like my secret gamer tendencies. But I when I was touring and stuff, it just like I I couldn't get it. I couldn't even like dip my toe into the gaming water because I knew how enticing it was for me and how I would never resurface. So but then the pandemic hit and I'm home and I was like, I'll just get a Nintendo Switch. And I and I am I I'm back. I'm back to the cave. I'm back to the cave hole. I've been avoiding getting Zelda Breath of the Wild because every all of my bandmates are like, you got to get it. It's going to be so good. But I know where I go when I get in. I never <laughs> surface. So anyways, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I, like, uh, I also purchased a Switch during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And similarly, yeah, it's like... Uh, I caved and bought Breath of the Wild because I'd played it already, and I. How do love you like it? it. Oh, oh I just. Oh, it's, I'm nervous. It's very, very good. <laughs> I was obsessed with Zelda: Ocarina of Time, like for N64. That yeah, was yeah. like the the game that I felt like. <laughs> it sounds so whatever, and I used to be more embarrassed about talking about it, but it like felt like a a defining game for me yeah like i had emotional attachments like to this game like it really was like i was on this journey i cried i was taken in like it was like real for me like i was really attached to the the whole journey of that game so yeah. then when it was like breath of the wild i was like i can't like it's just i i had to it was i had such an intense time with that game so many years ago yeah yeah i had a similar experience like that's the first game i remember playing i i uh <gasps> I, I always laugh. Uh, me and my partner have a three-year age difference between us. Uh -huh. And so I will talk about how there's like this generational gap where I remember very clearly growing up playing Ocarina of Time. And mm. uh, she grew up playing Wind Waker. And it's just, uh, you can't bridge that gap. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> I, see, and I've never even touched Wind Waker. I don't even, I've never even, yet. Yeah, never even, the Ocarina of Time. I was like so loyal to that game. And then I played Majora's Mask for like a minute. And it was cool, but it just wasn't, it didn't hit me in the same way. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> uh, candy, chips, or chocolate? Chips. Potato chips. <laughs> I love potato chips. Can't get enough. Do you have like a, what are like the uh, the top flavors? 
So I love a Dorito. I love like a sweet chili heat Dorito. Oh, yeah. Like rip it in the Dorito, like sweet chili heat. Just give me one. I love a sour cream and onion. That is a childhood favorite. And it's a polarizing flavor amongst my bandmates, too. Like some people (laughs) think it's an armpit flavor. I think it is a glorious flavor in all forms. Ruffles, lays, like it, it, like any random form. But I also, you know, I like a kettle chip of oh, yeah. many different kinds too. A kettle chip. You know what? Like, you give me any chip. I'm not a huge salt and vinegar fan. A controversial opinion, but it's just not my bag. But I'll still eat it. I love chips. You know, I, I commend you for um, every time I ask that question and somebody says chips, it's always salt and vinegar chips that are like Ugh, the top. Burn I, your tongue off. Yeah. Burn, I hate it. It hurts me because also <laughs> I have no self-control. So I'm going to I'm going to slit my tongue open with eating <laughs> salt and vinegar chips and it's not fun. <laughs> Is that yeah. OK? Yeah, I get that. <laughs> um, do, you want, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think there's just a lot of like really like kind of acidic chip flavors. Like I'm a big ketchup chip guy, but if you eat a lot of ketchup chips, it starts to hurt. It hurts. Yeah. And all dressed, whoo wee. That flavor when you first when you first get it, ooh, it's so zippy. And then by like the 49th parallel of chips, you're like, Ugh, like it hurts. Uh, do you have a social media account that you love to follow that brings you some joy? Who brings me joy? Bob the Drag Queen brings me joy. Um, who else do I follow that brings me joy? Oh, man. I love, like, slime, like, mashing, like, accounts. There's this one that I follow on tiktok i'm on tiktok everyone i'm trying my best here um and it's called molly mashes and she just like covers clay <laughs> like i'm literally following children like unboxing shit and i'm like this is the shit like she's like she's like puts like paint or like nail polish like someone in the comments is like i'd like to see you put some plaster over some play-doh and she's like i'll do it and then she does it and then she just like breaks it and then you hear the crunch 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 and i'm like this is sick <laughs> technology wow <laughs> <laughs> so dumb i'm sorry but uh, yeah that's that's my that's my vibe i'm i'm loving it uh is there a record that spurred your love of music you know, when I was younger, my dad is like classic dad, like had the record players was like, you got like, and he was classic dad where like, he was like, I got to tell you what I like and you have to like it, like <laughs> pop culture kind of style like this, like I want to raise you right kind of thing. So he was like the Beatles, like you got to love the Beatles. And I was like, oh, and then we'd listen to the Beatles together. And then I had a tape player in my room. So then we would record like the vinyl onto a tape so I could listen to it while I was like playing with my dolls. Yeah. And I rem- and I remember like making up like narratives and shit with my Barbies like, hey, Jude, like one of them would be like, jude or whatever and they'd be like i'm breaking up with you and he'd be like don't make it burn it was like dramatic like kind of like soap opera but with the beatles 
Yeah. But I really got swept away in that in that vibe. I mean, that was like as like a child. But listening to um Fiona Apple Win the Pawn when I was like a teenager yeah. kind of blew my my mind in terms of like actually starting to think about production and think right. about like like what is what how does one make a a record like it wasn't it was more than just like the appreciation of the music and like singing along to the songs and like like with that kind of stuff that that it was like so amazing but then with that album it was like what is what what's going on here like what is music like it was just like a yeah yeah a vibe for yep. sure the guy who produced that record is one of my just like all time John Ryan. Yeah, fucking amazing, amazing. Me too. Work. Did you hear his work on uh, Circles, like the Mac Miller record that he did? No, I never did. It's amazing. I will have to go check it out. Yeah, I, I, uh, boy, that that was actually how I found all that Fiona Apple stuff in the first place. Was that okay. John Bryan's got this solo record that's really, really great and okay. a little tough to track down. Um, love that shit. Give me the, give me that, that chase. No, I love John Bryan. I actually knew his name forever, but didn't know his face because I was just like read his name in liner notes and and I didn't like ever look up what he looked like. Right. And and I was in New York once. And I was at this after party for this thing and we were upstairs at this bar and there's this guy playing the piano and all these people were around him and I was a drunk little 20-year-old chipmunk and I was feeling all like confident, which is not something that I, like I don't usually put myself out there in like a jam setting. That's not something that is comfortable to me. You should like to be like, listen here, everybody. Like that's not my style. (laughs) But I was just feeling kind of like, I was a bit tipsy. I was with a l- bunch of friends from Winnipeg, and and I was just like, woo. And then I went up to the piano. I was like, do you know someone to watch over me? And he was like, I do. And then we played. And then I sat back down after with my friends, and they're like, that was John Bryant that you just played. <laughs> what the fuck? And I was like, <laughs> and I, I was like, what? And they're like, yeah. And then this guy showed me like the Wikipedia of John Bryant, and I was like, and then I didn't go near the piano after that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, I always laugh. He, uh, when you see kind of older pictures of him, he kind of uh, looks like this very kind of uh, like uh, I'll say like bohemian kind of suave, attractive <laughs> young man. And yeah. boy, he just looks like fucking Beethoven now. Like. Just- <laughs> Uh, he's completed this kind of cycle into mad genius territory. <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel like he was wearing like a, what's that hat? Like the one where it looks like, hey, I'm selling a newspaper. Like the one that's like, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't know what uh, it's flag called. cap. Yeah, flag. He was wearing one of those those hats and I was like, oh, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> well, that's, that's up there with the best stories I've heard on this show. Um, <laughs> uh very last question then on the yes. uh rapid fire part do you have any uh local shout outs for bands or uh musicians uh working in winnipeg <gasps> yeah. that you really love super duty tough work super duty tough work yeah a hip-hop outfit and they are amazing and they're also just incredible people and they're just like writing the music that people need to hear right now yeah and virgo rising 
they're also kind of like up and coming, kind of like bedroom, dreamy uh, uh, trio. Or oh, are they cool. quartet? I think they're a quartet, but in their pictures, it's mostly the trio. But um, yeah, and they just put out two singles, I think, on House of Wonders, which is the uh, Yes We Mystics record label. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, there's lots like Anthony OKS. He's going to come out with some stuff soon. Uh, yeah. Taylor Jansen. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that I that I admire in Winnipeg. Perfect. Well, uh, let's kind of pivot then into the interview section of this. Uh, <laughs> seems like a good transition. I uh, like I'm in Edmonton here, and uh, whenever I talk to folks that are from other cities of a similar size, um, I think there's a real uh, tendency for bands or artists in cities like this to eventually uh, move to Montreal or Vancouver or right. Toronto. Classic. Um, what do you get, you think, um, out of having like a career in the arts in a city like Winnipeg? Like, What is really special about that? Um, what is special? Well, I love, I mean, you get seasons in Montreal. <laughs> I just love the, the community <laughs> energy. I mean, right now it's kind of a unique situation. Normally, like, I am traveling a lot. Yes. So for for me, like, Winnipeg always felt so special as, like, a place to come home to. And just, like, kind of knowing, like, oh, on this night I could go to this club and probably run into these people and just, like, have that kind of homey vibe. Right. So that's something that's really special to me. I mean, my my partner and I like can afford to rent a house here as and both of us are kind of like he's a freelance carpenter and I'm an artist and he's also like a visual artist and does a lot of my set design and stuff but like I don't know that we'd be able to afford anything like that in Winnipeg I mean in Montreal for sure yeah so there's just lots of freedom here for us and I mean like for me like my family's here my friends are here if 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 I didn't live here and I and I mean things were the way that they were where I was traveling all the time I would always just be coming back here so i feel like i enjoy this place as a home base a lot do you think that that type of freedom attracts a certain type of person or like keeps a certain type of person in those types of cities i i don't know i guess it's kept me for for this long and and am i that type of person i guess i am i i, I mean yeah talking to a lot of my other artist friends that still live here and it's we kind of have similar values, I guess, in that sense, but it depends kind of what your hustle is like and what you're looking for. And that doesn't mean like I would like, I'm not one of those people that would never move. Right. But at this point I would need just like a really good reason. Well, especially right now, like who the hell wants to move right now? But like, yeah. if you, if I had like a really good kind of like career driven reason or like something, I don't know, like a life driven reason, yeah. I would, I, I wouldn't not, but I just don't really feel compelled to do that right now. That makes sense. Um, so uh, chronologically then, let's kind of jump back to the beginning. Um, when did you get started playing in Winnipeg? When I was a wee baby. I started playing out. Like, I mean, as soon as, as, soon as I could play in bars, I was playing in bars with my band pals, my little weenie pals. Uh, so... I mean, I've been playing in Winnipeg. I'm 33 now. I started playing when I was 18 in bar. So 
I don't know math. I don't have any post-secondary education. How many years is that? That's like thir- 13, 14, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what what group of people would that have been with? So I had, well, okay. So my very, very first bar band where that we would play kind of more like birthday parties and weddings and like club gigs that no one would go to was with Ariel Posen, Darren Cohen, Jason Bernstein, and uh, Aaron Shore. No, no, Ariel. Oh, no. Oh, sure. Oh, I see his face. We haven't talked to him forever. He's a chef now. I'm an assholio. <laughs> um, but we were called BSC, Bachelors of Science, and we played. And then, but then we didn't really like. We weren't trying to like make it or anything. Like they were more. Yeah. They were more so like a, a an instrumental band. And then I, kind of like joined the band and I would mostly sit at the side while they played gigs in like restaurants and then they'd be like all right now we have a vocalist come up for like three songs and then I would sing like three songs and then go sit again and just drink water and wait for my yeah but the other band that I kind of mainly was in that we were trying to like make it was called Little Boy Boom and that was with Joey Landreth and Meg Dolovich and Ryan Voth Joey Landreth of of the bros Landreth yeah I was gonna say Um, so um, I, I guess too, just out of curiosity, do you have like, do you have formal music training or are you kind of like all self-taught or? I don't. Well, okay. So my, my formal music training, I guess would be, I was in choir in high school, uh, but I didn't really know how to read music then. And I still don't really know how, <laughs> but I, I, uh, took voice lessons like for a minute in the eighth grade with this woman in her basement and we did like show tunes and like hymns okay and i lasted for like a few months and then i was like this is not for me and then the answer is no i don't have formal training (laughs) the answer is no i don't really all in all no i don't it's all just my just life experience i guess (laughs) yeah so uh jumping forward then what kind of uh what made you, I guess, go start Begonia as a project? Like, what kind of prompted that? Well, so for eight years, I was in a band called Chic Gamine. And we played, like, a bunch of different festivals. Like, we were touring constantly. Right. And that was the band that I was in from, like, 19, I started touring with them, to 26, I guess, 20, 20, 26, 27. And when we kind of dissipated that band, like, I, I had no other plan that's when i went up north that's when i like did like some other random like jobs because i was just like i wonder what i'm gonna do now i I always had all these songs like with that band we wrote really democratically so everyone would bring different songs to the table and so i would like maybe cut like uh, like personally i would maybe write like 10 songs or whatever bring to the table we would only cut like maybe two or three of them on a record. Right. And so then I would have all these other songs that didn't quite fit in with anything that I was doing. And I was in another band on the side called the new lightweights. And we would do more kind of like Americana kind of stuff on the side. But I just always had all these songs that had no home, like outside of every project that I was in. Right. And I was writing a lot with Matt Schellenberg from Royal Canoe. Okay. He's in a band, and he kind of encouraged me along with like a lot of other collaborator- collaborators I was with, like Ariel Posen encouraged me, like 
Joey encouraged me. They were like, you got to do stuff on your own, like outside of um, Sheik Amin once it ended. And I was like, yeah, like I wasn't ready to stop touring at that point. And I wasn't ready to deal with the grief of that band being over. So I was like, I'm going to start something immediately because I'm mentally healthy and I (laughs) know exactly what I'm doing. So then I was like, I'm starting something and put started putting songs together with Matt Schellenberg and then developed kind of what the name was and was like, I thought maybe it was going to be a band at first. So I was like, picked a name that I felt like could could be me but could also be like a band name right and then it turned into being me and i mean like i definitely have like so many collaborative members like my live band and the people i write with and like there's so many parts of like begonia or whatever but i mean it kind of became me yeah so out of curiosity just because i like um i was in this band for a long time called trace italian where it was a similar type of deal where I kind of made that band name and did stuff by myself and then it became a band and then it became mostly me again. And then it was kind of a bit like, um, I I guess what is the kind of difference for you between um, those two things, between something being like kind of your project that you have a lot of collaborators on and a lot of people that help you Mm -hmm. um, versus it being like, a band in big air quotes. Yeah. I mean, it's like the beauty and the pain of it is that you're, you're the decision maker at the end of the day, which sometimes can be awesome. If you're like, if I have a strong opinion, cause like in bands and stuff, it's like in some of the bands that I'd be in, I'd have a super strong opinion, but then so would someone else. And it's like, it's just as much their right to have their strong opinion as it is me. So I don't just get to be right just cause I think I'm right. And then in this case, if I think I'm right, then I can just be like, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, <laughs> I'm right. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. But it can also be, like, uh, lonely. <laughs> Sometimes, too, because you're the one that, at the end of the day, ha- has to and will care more than anyone else, which is, like, the 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 beauty of it, but also, yeah, the, the thing that can kind of be lonely sometimes, too. Do you feel like that creates, like, um, like, like does that make you put pressure on yourself, I guess? Or are you able to kind of like uh, lean a little bit on people that you have as kind of like trusted collaborators to uh, not go crazy? Yeah, no, I've definitely like developed like certain musical relationships that I really trust. It takes me a minute though to be that uh, vulnerable, like musically. Like I can, I can like meet someone and be vulnerable, like emotionally, like at the drop of a hat. But then if it comes to like, okay, let's write a song that you want to put out. Like I I like co-writing. I like doing all that kind of stuff with people, but it takes me a while to put my own, like myself out there like that with someone. Right. So yeah. So developing those kind of bonds, like with a few key people, it definitely has helped me then to just bounce stuff off and be like, okay, you know me, you know what I'm about. I'm sending you this. Like, is this good or is this trash? Can you tell me, <laughs> please? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I feel like there's something way more, um, like, intimate in some way about sh- sharing, like, um, an original idea as opposed to, like, sharing the way that you are feeling or, like, autobiographical information. Because obviously that stuff is, like, very personal, too. Yeah. But it feels like there's not the same kind of, like, 
risk of rejection. Like when you tell somebody your idea and you think this is really great and they go, that's stupid. It's like, Uh, help, (laughs) help me, my ego, my heart, everything. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, let's let's chat about fear and then also the live uh, recordings that uh, you just put out. We're, we're doing this on February 18th, night 19th, <laughs> February 19th. We, we know the days of the week for sure. <laughs> so the the live record has been out about a month at this point, and I guess it's it's been pretty close to a year since that was recorded. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, like almost exactly. What's the date? Oh yeah, you just literally just said it's the nineteenth. <laughs> um the first show that we did last year was on the twenty first. Twenty first, twenty second, twenty seventh, twenty eighth, twenty ninth of February last year. Gotcha. What a crazy run of shows too. Holy S- shit. Surreal AF to think about that. That's just like fucked up. It fucks with my head. Uh did you was the intention to release it as a live record when that like when you took those recordings and did those shows? No, the intention originally is just that I like to cover all my bases on a good day if if I'm able to and like we were just really pu- trying to like pull out all the stops for this sh- for this show and so I felt like okay, well if we're going to do that we we should record it. I don't know what we're going to do with the recording, but like I want this even just for me to listen back and and kind of like have cr- some critical thinking about how the live show's doing, like moving forward. Like just I wanted just some recordings of it. And then we were filming it and and I thought, well, at least we could like put out a couple YouTube videos. Right. At the at like the very least. So yeah, that was the original intent. So when when did uh I guess when did you decide that you actually wanted to release it as like a full live record well as like the the pandemic uh rolled along and i saw dates uh continue to cancel and it kind of like was a reality that like i wasn't going to be on the road again for a while i I wasn't really feeling the the energy of like doing a bunch of live streams and i feel like for some people that's been really awesome and like and great for the like great for them and like and I, but I just wasn't comfortable in that realm for myself at that yeah. point. And I felt like, oh yeah, we have the show. Like we can, we could do something with this. Like this is the, sh- this is like the show that I would have wanted people to see it had I had the opportunity to show it to more people. So why would we not, like we have all of this footage, we have all of this recording. Like why would we not do something with it? So then we just kind of developed that idea, like in the spring, I guess. decided to kind of start putting stuff together and then that's when we started editing like the visual component and then we thought well if we're editing the visual component let's also just edit a live album at the same time gotcha did you play more shows after that on that tour or was that kind of like we played we we played the okay so we did the 29th at the WEC and that was the last WEC show and then we had like five days off and then we went back on the road and played a run of like maybe like five or six shows before we had to turn around and go back home before we were like alerted, like cross the border, come back home. Yeah. We're like, Oh fuck. How how did it, how did it feel like, um, revisiting that material and working on it again in that 
kind of setting. Because I, I know there wasn't like a huge gap between uh, fear like coming out in the fall and then the pandemic starting and that show happening in February. But yeah. even the process of kind of like working on that material and editing it and editing the show, um, did that, um, did you find, I guess, new stuff in the material that you were kind of uh, happy that popped out? I mean, I felt so grateful that we recorded the shows in general. I just felt so, so grateful because we were just doing it for the sake of of doing it because it felt like a good idea. But also in our minds, we we're like, well, we're going to do seven million more shows this year. Like, right. And, and not that that took away from that. Like, that was definitely like the big one. But it, I wouldn't have thought in my head, this is the last opportunity to get me recorded live in this way with an audience. Like, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. But uh what was I lost the question in in my answer now. <laughs> oh boy. What was did it? I find did I find special things and I think that was the question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah did just, you I, yeah. yeah. No, nothing necessarily that like surprised me but just like things that uh it were def- it was definitely an emotional experience for me like listening back and like hearing the crowd and hearing myself like and hearing just even the way that I was talking and like the way I was singing and it was just like, you had no fucking clue. I had no <laughs> idea. Obviously. It's just so interesting that we were able to do that like right before everything yeah. shut down. It's so strange, I think, to think about the way that it all kind of just started because in looking back, like like I remember uh, like going to doctor's offices in February and them having signs up about COVID or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden there just being a very clear point where everything was suddenly completely different, even though totally. it had obviously been like building up to that for a good amount of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's fucking weird. <laughs> how has a uh, kind of <laughs> p- pandemic life been, been treating you in a, in a creative sense? And, and in a not creative sense, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a time, definitely. I mean, like when I got off the road, I was just kind of shocked and just taking in so much information, like right. all the time. And, and I saw like people's like right away, like I feel like within the first fucking week, people were posting memes like Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the Spanish flu or whatever the fuck. And like, this is when artists will rise up and like (laughs) give, do their best work. And I remember scrolling through like people's pages, like being like, wow, I can't wait to see what artists do in the next few months. And I was just like reading that shit and like out loud being like, I'm not doing shit. (laughs) <laughs> I am depressed like I can't like it it was not it was not natural for me to just like take out my guitar and be like oh like I was like no I the room that I'm in now I mean the radio you can't hear this but the like it's kind of like my studio space but this room before was painted puke green and there was so much shit in it and my suitcase was just open and and it was like my hoarder's paradise and it was like my suitcase was just plopped open all my clothes my show clothes were just shoved on top because I was just like slam this door I am sad my merch that I had ordered so much merch before this like last run was just stacked and merch was being delivered to my house like right at the beginning of the pandemic when I got home 
And oh. it's just all stacked up. And I just like closed this door and was like, I'm not going in here. I don't want to. I am not even going to pretend that I'm just feeling so creative. Like I was just sad. Yeah. Like, and, and then I've kind of went through waves <laughs> and now I feel like I, I feel definitely different than I did before. And I definitely like, there was something that kind of struck me in the summertime of just like, okay, I need to figure out how to, how I want to move forward now. I, right. I, I need to figure out how I can be myself again, like within this time. So I started working with kind of my main like songwriting collaborators, like Matt Peters and Matt Schellenberg. And we just started writing more songs that we already had some songs like from like a couple years ago. Like I, I was constantly kind of writing with them in between tours anyway. So I had a lot of material that I was sitting on for the next album already. I just wasn't planning on doing anything with it this soon, but yeah. Then I thought, okay, let's just see what happens. Let's just schedule some writing times and see what happens. And then that slowly kind of inched its way into like, okay, let's book some studio time. Okay. I think we're making an album. Okay. We're doing this. Yeah. So, uh, I guess then, uh, like, like what is the, what is the future looking like for this project? Then like, obviously tours are still, uh, I don't know. You, uh, I know some <laughs> people are booking tours in, in the fall. Um, but Good I know luck. that's probably a huge question mark. Um, I say Godspeed to those people. <laughs> That's not me, though. I, I don't know. I feel like touring was is such a huge part of my identity to myself, like performing. And, and I didn't necessarily even realize to, to what extent um, that it was like such a huge part of who how I define myself, like who I am, like performing and connecting with an audience and, yeah. and being on the road. But I definitely am not interested in being a trailblazer in that regard and like being the first person out in yeah. the tour van being like, we're back. Like I I can be like the like I, I don't need to be the first person to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, let's uh, shift over into the kind of the third final little section of this. Uh, is, is there a song you'd want to feature at the end of the show here? Yeah, probably something from the live album. I wonder what is the most compelling track from the live album. Let me just look myself up on a streaming <laughs> service. And um, I don't know. Like I would say maybe Juniper because that really like showcases the crowd. Yeah, yeah. In, in the live album, but also the other side. I would I would do the other side Juniper or Beats and then I would just say Dealer's Choice in that sense. If let's, you care, I don't know. If I, maybe I should just pick. I don't know. I'm not good at picking. Let's let's do Juniper because it was okay. the first one out of your mouth. Um is, We're doing is, it. is the is the crowd and like that atmosphere kind of like what is special to you about the live record? Oh yeah, 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 definitely. A 100%, definitely. Just feeling that energy. I couldn't even like I would have to like uh, Matt Schellenberg also edited the live video and then uh, I was kind of editing like the, pardon me, like the audio and stuff with uh, a friend of mine at his studio, uh, John Paul Peters at his studio here in Winnipeg. Okay. And um, so I would have to be going through this stuff. Like I feel like I was living in this show again for months because I was just going through the editing and like 
listening to everything and just and and going through each show just to make sure that I was like choosing like the right performance and yeah but it would take it took so much out of me like I would listen to one show and then I would just be emotionally so drained because I just it made me so emotional to like hear the crowd like yeah, in yeah. that way. And because it, yeah, that's like the most special part to me is just like, oh my gosh, we were, we did that. We were able to do that. And like people showed up like that <laughs> was so satisfying with those shows too. Like to, when I saw them like selling out and like, I would still want to put on like just as good of a show if there were two people there, if there were 2000 people there, whatever, yeah. but it makes it so much more like, worthwhile in some ways when you know that it's sold out because then you're like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna like invest in this show and people will actually be there to see it yeah. like and that's something that is really exciting or what's re what's really exciting so with this song or or honestly just in general um when you are writing um do you i it's it's like a twist on the music or lyrics first question which i think is stupid um honestly but <laughs> uh do you go like sit down with some idea of what you are trying to write about and then that informs the music that you're writing or do you sit and write music and realize oh i think it's maybe about this and then kind of go right. down that path kind of it depends on the song truly and and i i feel like each song is like written in a different way like a song like hot dog stand for example that I just like wrote on the guitar like in my apartment in like an hour was one of those ones where I sat down and I was like oh I'm sad about something and then it just like came out like without thinking but that doesn't happen with every song and like there's some and working with the mats too like for, with Juniper for example like he sent me like a loop of a beat and was like hey do you, do you hear anything over this and then I wrote like the first verse of Juniper over that sent it back to him then we got together we wrote the chorus together like it 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 totally varies like per song gotcha that's um I feel like maybe that's more normal. Just I, I know at least the way that I write stuff, it's it's always different every time. Like there's yeah. no like yeah. I sit down at nine and I have a coffee and I write for an hour. And I think I always feel some guilt that I like can't do that. But I feel you. I try to like if I know that I want to to be writing like in a certain period of time. Like when I was on tour and I knew, okay, I have like a month off. Okay, for one of those weeks, I want to set aside, like, go to a cabin or something with my, like, songwriting partners and, like, and we would do that, like, go to, like, an artist residency cabin or something like that. And, and that's, like, how I like to do things outside of this time. I like to kind of, like, a lot, like, a week or, right. like, where, where okay, I'm going to do this so so that it's not, like, every day. Like, if that if you don't necessarily write a song every minute of every day, it's it's okay. But you know that, like, that's a time that if you're kind of distracted by other things in your life, like before, after that time, you don't feel like that kind of that guilt that you're talking about or whatever yeah. that can sometimes creep in that you're like, Oh, I'm not working on my music. I don't know how, like what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. And sometimes just inspiration will strike me at the most random time. So then I just like, especially like if it comes, if it's like before bed or like in the shower, like it's usually when I'm doing like mindless kind of shit, like wa yeah. washing dishes, whatever. And I'm like, Oh, I have to finish this. Oh, I'm not going to remember this. Oh, okay. I got to go do this now. It's like, yeah, it's, it, it's all, it, it varies. Yeah. Do, do you like keep 
uh, notes or like a notebook or voice memos or things like that? Yeah, I do. I have a lot of a lot of random notebooks right beside me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of I'm I'm definitely a, a note jotter, a scribbler, a list maker. Like I have like post-its. I'm surrounded by post-its right now. Like <laughs> it's like, yeah, definitely always writing random things down. And yeah, a bunch of disorganized voice memos in my phone <laughs> that I forget to label and then I have to go back and like spend hours like listening through being like was this actually good oh no I'm gonna delete that oh I should I should have labeled that da, da, da. like yep cool well uh right before we play the track here then uh is, I don't know if there's anything you want to say to intro it or anything like that Juniper such a special song for me it was the first song I ever put out as Begonia and it started this whole fantastic amazing journey for me and uh it was so overwhelming the first night of the live shows I like was like I'm gonna take a chance and like see if the crowd knows the chorus and I was like and and I was like can do you know this and I like put the mic out like the first night and then this recording is of I think like the fourth night where I was like okay be more confident bitch like don't ask do you know this just take the mic and like hold it out and see what happens and I was like closed my eyes like held the mic out and then everyone just sang along to the last chorus and listening back to that I like it's overwhelming but it was a very special moment for me definitely oh uh, well perfect uh we're at the end of things then. Uh, we're going to play Juniper by Begonia. Uh, holy man, thanks so much for sitting down to chat. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a lovely interview. Thank you very much for having me.
Inside the Artist Studio is produced by Sean Davis Newton for the Cups and Cakes Network. The featured track, Juniper, was played with permission from Begonia. Thanks to Laundry Week for the use of their song, Nothing on My Mind, from the Grimpy EP as our intro and outro music. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.